0: Every one of these episodes is packed full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Afia Chiholo, VP of Engineering at Onfido. We discuss why specialists and generalists are complementary to one another. Afia explains the Einstein effect and why being more generalist often gives us an advantage when it comes to problem solving. A fear delineates two psychological drivers in her life, positive forces like curiosity, problem-solving and inspiring leaders, and forms of hardship, as well as being underestimated in the imposter syndrome that results. This set of drivers leads fear to be intensely competitive with herself, and paradoxically has enabled her to outperform her doubters over the years. She also describes a model that she calls the cone of uncertainty, which she uses to approach decision-making and to inform how involved she gets with her team's planning. My grandad used to say that the greatest lessons in life are those you use at the tip of a hat. Afia finds this balance between the practical and the theoretical and produces a type of intellect that is readily available and well-tuned to building software and building companies. To understand Afia's story is to know the obstacles she has overcome and the lessons it has given her, some of which she shares today. When you reflect on your earlier days, why is it that your path is uncommon?
1: Um... I think my path was uncommon because I was into lots of things. Um you know, as a child I was exposed to a lot of things. Um my teach my parents were teachers so they kind of signed me up for every extracurricular activity, it was both there good was and no- bad. <laughs> I did science, I did dance class, I did everything. Um and um they also were foster carers so I was exposed to a lot of different people as well like I literally had strangers come into my home some days and like here's your new brother here's your new sister and so having exposure to lots of different people from different backgrounds and different um experiences travel they were really passionate about as well um meant I didn't really have that one thing that I absolutely loved now in fact um as a teenager at school I really loved fashion textiles and science and so many people were like you're gonna have to choose (laughs) you have to choose it was it was just like you're either into the arts or you're into the sciences there was no middle ground um and I didn't know I, I genuinely didn't know what I wanted to choose so um I did the most random studies. I did like English, literature and language, physics, chemistry, and fashion textiles. Amazing um, it just shows it, what I was good at and what I liked. Um, I wonder how much
0: of that came from the different people that were coming into your family home, because I guess they must've come with different interests and different backgrounds too. That's
1: yeah, kind absolutely, of always
0: broadening your horizon
1: absolutely a lot of them were older than me so you kind of looked up to them and you wanted to be like them for for the period that they were um in your home and and yeah I think all of those different influences but more than that I just chose what I was good at (laughs) what I enjoyed um and it was so interesting because back then the options were very limited it seemed really like okay you could be a doctor and I actually hate, hated biology. That was the one science I didn't like.
0: Don't be a um, doctor then.
1: Or you could be a fashion designer. And I was like, well, that that doesn't, neither of those really spoke to me. Um, I worked in a uh, sort of fashion business, as a weekend job, and I saw that none of them made any money. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is this is not going to work for me. And... Um, and so I, I stumbled across my degree choice. I think I put it into into some sort of course generator. Um and I found material science and engineering. And um it, you know, lo and behold, materials are in absolutely everything, right? So your phone, your car, your plane, your laptop, um, structures. Um so it's a really broad engineering course and that was perfect for me um i really really enjoyed the applied nature of engineering so i might be changing the chemistry in a material so that we get better phone signal you know so how do we solve a problem um and that was what really spoke to me and i was lucky enough to do a placement um, with the Ministry of Defence and kind of worked with the best scientists in the country, best engineers in the country, and um, was able to use different techniques. Um, I was working in a very niche <laughs> uh, field, um, you know, it was the Atomic Weapons Establishment, and um, there wasn't a lot of, pu- pu- you know, scientific publications. It was, you know, the the, the team there, probably some teams in the US uh, DOD and Israel um and that was it so I used to read papers from different industry and I would take techniques from like the semiconductor industry and I would try it within what I'm doing because there was just not enough research and um I you know got to look over the shoulders of, of some some great people there who had a lot of time to just help me and and try out all of these techniques and um in the end we discovered new things we were able to publish the work and it was a big lesson for me that actually you know now I I know that innovation actually comes at the intersection of different domains but I didn't know that at the time I just didn't have enough data where I was so I looked in another area and tried to apply a technique that worked in a completely different field to where I was um and then since then, I've I've worked in different industries. And a lot of people say, "Oh, well, how do they all go together? And the reality is, I was always solving problems. Um, and you use, whilst the problem itself might be novel, and I really like working on novel problems, the steps you go through to solve a problem, there are first principles. There are ways in which you discover that problem. There are ways in which you iterate through that problem. And there are techniques that you can use. Um, that I've used in, in lots of different paths and journeys ever since. Um, so I feel like for me, I feel like everything is related. Um, and actually some of the, the best ideas come from bringing different domains together.
0: It's funny how it feels like our society must rely on both, both sets, because if you didn't have specialists who were uh, experts then you wouldn't necessarily have those um more niche breakthroughs that you could then or a generalist could then take some of those and then kind of swap them team different places or find the intersection and it's almost as if i can't imagine things existing but we almost need both
1: absolutely um and i i learned so much from those experts that I worked with and I still utilize some of those again, first principles that I learned from them, but there is, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a phenomenon called, I think Einstein, Einstein effect where actually, if you're so deep in a particular area, you just try and apply the same tools over and over again, even if there are better solutions outside of that, because that's what, you know, that's what you've been trained to do. Um. Whereas somebody who kind of hops around more might try something outside of that and it could be a better method or a better better tool um, than, than something that you've been doing over and over again. Um, That's not always the case.
0: Was there a day where you made the decision and you said, I, I want to be someone who's at the intersection of things rather than someone who's an expert in one thing, or did it, naturally happen?
1: Um it took a long time to understand that. I, I think it's something I've recently understood. Um in my current role I um look after a group of um multidiscipline engineering and technologists. So I've got technical program managers, test engineers, DevOps engineers, software engineers, front end, back end, um the whole the whole cross-section of of technologists and I think I realized that i I I couldn't have done that role if I'd been so niche um, now there are other you know my counterparts they might look after all of mobile and that I wouldn't probably be as successful in that role because I don't have years and years of mobile experience, but actually how I can be successful in my role is because I have that cross-sectional and intersectional experience. Um, And so I think it it only really, penny dropped in the last couple of years, really. Um, You know, I was quite derogatory about my experience. I was like a bit random and almost apologised for it. Um, And I, Watched this TED talk. I came across this TED talk um, by um, a lady called Emily who talks about being a multi potentialite. And I almost like burst into tears because I was like, that's me. <laughs> um, I like to learn different things and I like to put them all together. And even at the period I'm learning something, I can go really deep and I will become quite specialist to solve that problem for that time period so it's not that i don't go deep and i don't get quite specialist i just do it to solve that problem for that time period and then i'm on to the next one and then i take those lessons and experience with me
0: it, it feels to me that you're touching on something that from the outside is kind of it's hard to understand because on I on the one hand you it's a foundational engineering group you you're you're dealing with multiple different parts but on the other hand you're still the vp of engineering at vido like that's relatively special it's like uh, someone from the outside would look at that and be like well that's quite a specific job like that does something specific um and if you go all the way back to your time studying materials though materials kind of naturally sounds like that feels to you that it's Generalist again someone on the outside might look at that and be like materials like i've never heard of that that sounds pretty specialist so it's almost like somehow and i don't know why it feels like you're getting the best of both worlds you're managing to choose specialisms that are general
1: yeah and as i said i, I do go deep for for that period so i don't know if i'm solving something around cloud I might go really deep for that year or or that six months that I'm working um, on on databases. Um, so, but it's 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 really understanding the that the, there is like core principles. So, when I was in materials, for example, and you looking at structures and load on structures. You know if on this desk, if I have four legs and I'm putting load on it, I'm distributing the load across four legs in a database when I horizontally scale, I'm distributing the load across multiple databases. so it's the same principles um I introduced s p c statistical process control in a manufacturing company um, and and like deployed the software for that um problem and it was around quality control something I also did at Onfido many many years later because again we're solving a QC problem Um, and a lot of this has been done before so I think sometimes with newer businesses like startups and software businesses there's a tendency to think everything is brand new but a lot of this actually comes from you know industries that are decades old you know, older than, than 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 you and I. And they've been working, you know, in this manner to solve engineering problems for many years. And after us, <laughs> um, we'll find, you know, we'll continue to kind of use the same first principles, even when we're kind of working in a very innovative and in a new field.
0: How can we access more of those universal truths that have repeated themselves in the past because i i think anyone wants that shortcut they want to take the kind of timeless idea and repeat it if it means that it's the it's the it's the right thing to do in that moment just for whatever reason somehow sometimes they're hard to access and they're they're hard to understand kind of even even know about
1: yeah it's a really good question I've personally done it in two ways as experience. So actually getting hands on and, and back to your point about working with those experts. Um, you know, when I worked in manufacturing, I'd literally go down to the factory and I'd talk to people who you know, been on that same machine for 40 years. Um, when I was um, at the Ministry of Defence doing research, I'd be with scientists, you know, principal scientists and asking them, picking their brain. So, getting that diverse experience um, and working with those specialists is is one way. Um, I think you know I have a privilege of having classical engineering um, training and and education, so that's 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 uh, that can't be overlooked. Um, but then the other way is reading, right? So, reading about what people have done before. Um, I love the book The Machine That Changed the World, um, which was around what the Japanese did um in lean manufacturing. And so much of it, if you read it today, you'd be like, Oh, that's that's all we that's a daily stand-up. That's agile. But no, this was done hundred, a hundred well, over a hundred years ago. Um and um you can read Uh, what other from other people's and learn from other people's experiences both from way in the past and 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 new authors who are working on new things like serverless uh, um, event-based architecture you can you can read about these things so I think those two it's you know podcasts or or audio um, learning from others that way or getting hands-on in different experiences.
0: In order to do all that you have to foster this curiosity and it doesn't come from nowhere. Where did it come from for you?
1: Um, I think just, I I can do the most monotonous task if I'm trying to solve a problem. I just want to know, like, what is this? What is this going to tell us? Like, I've literally measured and counted dots to see what it's going to tell us um, in the data. But tell me to do that same task because it's a Tuesday. Uh, That's just so uninteresting to me. So solving problems um, is something I'm really passionate about. And it's one of my favourite interview questions. I'm like, tell me about something you've worked on. Tell me about a project you've worked on. But what I'm interested in is why you had to do it. Um, And did you solve that problem in the end? Because a lot of people kind of go in that middle part and I did this, I did that. But I'm like, did you solve what you needed to solve? Why did you have to do it in the first place? Um, And that's the curiosity that that drives me. Um, But it also comes from, you know, leaders who are passionate as well. So, you know, my early supervisors in in AWE, they were so passionate about what they were doing that it made me excited. Um, And I've been lucky enough to work for leaders that really, really inspire excellence and really um, inspire like high performance and and wanting to solve problems. Um, And I think when I've left businesses, it's because they've, they're they not trying to solve problems anymore and they're just trying to keep things going, which which obviously is important sometimes, of course, but um, that's when I start to get a bit bored.
0: I think you touch on two universal truths that I'd love to explore. There's the the vision of leadership and the kind of bubble that we work within on the one hand, and then there's suffering and going through hardship in order to achieve a grander design or or vision of some sort perhaps we could start with the latter because you talking about doing that monotonous task i so personally i so resonate with that there are so many things that i reflect on where i think oh my goodness i can't actually believe i did that um and I I, I, and it took but I didn't even question it because I felt deeply that the the outcome was worth it and the thing that I was going for was 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 kind of deserved deserved it Um, but we all do for whatever reason it is so much harder maybe in today's society where you only see the the best clips of people and you see those moments of Success, rather than those moments of difficulty and hardship. What role has suffering played for you and, and what role has hardship played for you? And are there any other ways that you think about hardship and suffering?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I have a um, blood disorder called sickle cell. Um, And I have sickle cell SC, so it's a slightly milder form of the disease, which means I mostly have a normal quote unquote life. Um, but when I was at university, um, I ended up having two surgeries and I've had another one since on my eyes. Which when you have surgery on your eyes, you (laughs) need time to recover, so you can't actually, you know, go to lectures, you can't actually um, you know, even open your eyes really um and the second time it happened it actually happened on my final year so I was a hundred percent convinced I wasn't going to graduate like a hundred percent there was no um there was no doubt in my mind that taking six weeks off in your final year that I was, I was just not going to graduate um I had lots of support from my peers and um They mostly went to lectures and got me my notes. Sometimes they didn't. Um, (laughs) Um, And um, actually, because I had done that year out, I was well-trained on lots of scientific techniques that usually you'd need a PhD student to supervise. But because I had that time, um, the university actually let me do it independently over Easter holidays, and I caught up. And... um, not only did I graduate i graduated top of my class um but there months prior, you couldn't have told me that was possible like there was nothing in my brain that thought that was possible
0: so so what was it?
1: I'd come so far um and you know i think i'd I'd come so far i'd I just needed to push through um I like to be in control of my destiny, which is a problem. Um, and I didn't want it to be based on anyone else. I wanted it to, to be like, if I fail, I failed on 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 me. Um, if I succeed, I succeed on me. And I'm I'm not someone who's super competitive um, with anyone else. I'm, but I'm so competitive with myself. And in fact. I've had quite a lot of people underestimate me. Um, And I think back, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago, and someone said, you don't look like the type who studies physics.
0: Oh, God.
1: And the funny thing is, I have versions of that conversation every six months. (laughs) Um, But I equally have had people and this goes back to leaders, I've had leaders almost spot me from the crowd and see my potential in me before even I have and and seen the way I work and given me the opportunity to succeed. So I've now come to a place where I'm quite at peace with the fact that some people will underestimate me, but there are also a lot of people who I respect and, um, I, I value what they do who see you as well. Um, and I think it might sound a bit pessimistic, but once you kind of make peace with, with that, um, you, you, you put less pressure on yourself. And I think the reason why in some ways I was quite successful is because I knew I was going to be underestimated, I would go even harder. I would, you know, I study all night. I do, I remember, you know, colleagues who were like, oh, we'll just do half the paper. I like, I'll do all of it. Um I'd, I'd learn more than I needed to for a, each role. Um, I'd get hands-on experience, I'd get the certification. I'd do above and beyond because I wanted to feel less like an imposter, I guess. Um, so in a way, imposter syndrome has has helped, um, but I, I wouldn't say it's healthy.
0: It certainly sounds like a drive. It, it's almost as if drive comes from either a dark or a light place. And in and we all wish we were driven by things that were hopeful. Um, But there are times where you're driven by something that is difficult and hardship in your past in some ways has given you the drive to do things.
1: Yeah, I think I've been more driven by hardship um, than than, uh, hope or positivity. And I'm trying to change that, but... Um, yeah, I think I've, I've definitely in the past been more driven by hardship and a want to either overcome or prove myself. Um, and it's interesting cause now as a leader, I see that in some of the people I, I lead to and it's getting them to see that they're better than they, then they tell themselves that they are. Um, And so it's kind of come full circle. You know, I had leaders who did that for me and now I'm trying to do that for others.
0: It's odd that those two universal truths that we picked out, the, the visionary part and the hardship part seems so interrelated, almost as if because you went through that hardship and it's taught you so many things, you are now able to paint the vision and be the type of leader because of all of those experiences.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, anytime I take on anything new, I still get that feeling of, <gasps> you know, it's like that. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, mm. But again, I think I've learned to articulate that and frame that um have this sort of concept as the cone of uncertainty and so you're going to go through that cone and as time goes on you know more you become actually quite expert in that thing um what does and the i cone know that i'm going to look go through like that and so it's you know if you have a graph and you have time along and then you have um uncertainty and it's literally a cone over time um and it it, it it goes down your uncertainty decreases as you know more um and it's not a smooth line uh, life isn't smooth you know there's bumps and troughs um and so i framed that concept um i've sort of expanded on that as well as, as as how you kind of approach planning if you kind of inverse that cone and how you approach risk
0: run me through that so how how can you take the cone and invert it in the situation where you're thinking about risk?
1: So if you invert it for planning, the less certain you are, um, you don't plan in that much detail. So like the, you know, the horizon, planning horizon, where you know more, you planning details. So that's your daily plans. That's your sprint plans. And that's actually where your team should kind of operate autonomously where you've got to help them is is kind of getting to that to that vision where it's a little bit more uncertain and you're collaborating with them along the way. Now, if you kind of put that 90 degrees, like you you have a bell curve and that's risk, right? You know, sometimes mm, yeah. things, things are better than expected and sometimes things are, are worse than it than expected. Um but if you know you're gonna go through this kind of every time I can then be at peace that, okay, I feel really uncertain right now, but I'm going to go through that journey.
0: As if you're placing that uncertainty in a, in its purpose. Yeah. That must so help your team.
1: Yeah. I think it also helps make decisions, right? Um, so day to day in those daily decisions, they can operate autonomously and where they come to you is those decisions that are a lot have a lot more uncertainty um and then you collaborate with each other okay how do we get more certainty like what does the data show us or um, you know how much runway do we have left uh, how safe are we to operate in this situation um, and you put metrics behind that? And actually, most of the time, you're just helping them frame that, and then they can make that decision themselves. Um, Or you're giving them information that maybe in their world, in their silo, they don't see, but actually, if you give them the information they need, they can make those decisions as well.
0: Have you applied the cone of uncertainty to your own professional journey and the way that you have made decisions about where to work and how to pursue your best work and are there any insights that you think are applicable and appropriate
1: yeah i think i think i i I do still find decision making big decisions you know do i buy this home do i change a role i still find those really overwhelming um and i'll you know wreck my brain. Um but I think what helps is the sort of empirical evidence that you've done this before. Um and so whenever you know you're thrown something, whether that's a new opportunity within a company or, or or maybe your next phase, just reminding yourself that you've gone through that before every company, you have to learn the new norms, you have to learn the new terminology, you have to learn the people, you have to learn the technology. Um, And then there's this like weird thing that people like pattern match for the same profile over and over again. So it's like, I often have said, you know, in actually every interview, I'm like, if you're looking for someone who's worked in this, like you're a competitor and does what they do about your competitor, I'm not the person because I've never worked in the same industry more than once. Um, and so I'm I'm really upfront about that and, um, you know, ask the the people I'm speaking to to, to really think about, you know, do they just want to pass a match for the same or do you want someone who actually will go through that journey um, but probably will bring something new and something different?
0: How do you think about risk when you're deciding where to work and how to make key decisions? So whether it's a skill set that you want to develop or whether it's that you take the plunge and decide to do something new, how do you assess risk?
1: If I'm honest, um, in in previous decisions, it's more of been risk of staying put. Um, it's like the risk of me sort of rotting there (laughs) and not growing and, and, and not achieving what I want, um, which is not the best (laughs) motivation. Um, you know, I've gone, you know, I usually go through this where I'm just so excited about being there and solving the problems and then this, there's some sort of switch that happens maybe after a few years and I'm like, oh, if I stay here, I don't think either the work would drive me or even sometimes, unfortunately, the values of the company is aligned with mine. And so the risk of staying there becomes quite a detriment to my overall sort of life satisfaction. I think looking back, that's how I made most of my decisions and I would, I'd like to not do it like that though. (laughs) I, I can
0: imagine you going through that process and I can, I can almost, I can almost feel it and, and, and envision it that moment where you're, everyone else thinks about the risk of leaving, but you're thinking about the risk of staying and I can see how that will help your decision making and and you have a a more broad a more broad way of thinking but i find it harder to think about how you assess the values of a company with your with your own values because that is just such a challenge how do you know when you're um moving away from the values that you've how do you know when there's this bigger gap that's coming up, like that's, and it's hard to know, like if there's a moment as those two things are diverging, that, when you should make the call and that seems like a really difficult decision.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the examples where it's happened before, you know, sometimes it's, 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 it's over time. It's like, um, okay, we're no longer innovating. And so, you know, you can feel yourselves in meetings, like just losing interest. Um, and, um, when decisions are being made in that organization, you know, not to fund particular initiatives, um, you, you start to kind of detach from what you were maybe passionate about before. So that tends to be a little bit more subtle. Um, and it happens over time because usually companies don't sort of, sort of have that stark. Um, change. Um, maybe in different economic times, yes, there, there there are. But in general, it's a little bit more gradual. Um, and you start to feel yourself sort of losing passion and losing interest.
0: I guess you've got to know what your values are too.
1: Yeah. But it, because I'm so driven by solving problems, if we're no longer solving problems, then it's it, it becomes quite obvious and I become quite disengaged. Um. When the other time where it's been a probably a bit more drastic is if, you know, there is something, you know, egregious happened that's, you know, really out of line with my values and um, I cannot continue to align myself. Um, and that's happened in the past. And um What happened? Looking back, I was, you know, it was pre me too. I was really young. Um, The victim also was really young and I was the only person in the company that stood up for it. And that shouldn't have happened. Um, So, so in that, in, in that case, I was done.
0: And how do you separate out the values? Of a rogue individual and versus a company,
1: um, how they handle it. Um, yeah, how they handle it and um, how it was handled was was just. I mean, it wouldn't it, you wouldn't get away with it today. Um, how how that was uh, handled. Uh, well, I hope not. <laughs> um, and so. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, rogue individuals, yes, things happen, uh, you know, but companies have to take a stand.
0: That sounds like the far easier call to make, as opposed to one where you're trying to understand whether your values are diverging and those those values aren't hitting you in the face.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I had a, a situation with a, a contractor um, where I am today and you know i i defend, you know i sort of defended myself i was quite happy to to you know engage in the conversation and sort of just kind of shut it down um and one of our co-founders you know wasn't in the meeting but found out and just zero tolerance that contractor was gone and it actually wasn't it wasn't a matter of whether i was offended or not um i mean you know the fact that I could stand up for myself, that, that's, not, that's not part of why that decision was made. It was just inappropriate. And so, you know, I'll always respect him for that because he, he just made that call, regardless of whether I was, you know, okay or not, which was the right thing to do.
0: Hmm. You said earlier, we're affected by so many other people in our working life. And you said earlier that you're despite the fact that you're by all intents and purposes successful that you are not competitive or at least you're not competitive with others um what benefits does being competitive with yourself have and how much of your success do you put down to it
1: um i think being competitive with myself was and has been driven by sort of imposter syndrome and sort of wanting to be seen as you know valuable um and the funny thing is i'm i'm usually never really aware of sometimes the the other forces of other people being kind of competitive together um I, I even think back to university you know I was I was the only uh, woman on my course um and I didn't know that all the boys had this competition together about who's going to win all the prizes um I just wasn't aware of it and um I won all of them <laughs> so I think it's funny when I when I'm competitive with myself I tend to outdo others but I'm usually not thinking about others I just I'm just trying to survive <laughs> it's mad that
0: it's the opposite of what I think you would expect
1: yeah it, it's like a happenstance and that's happened like loads of times um you know I've been aware of even people being competitive against me in an almost sort of i want to say sabotage but you know you know almost sort of ch- trying to sort of discredit me and I'm just so focused on on myself and trying to prove to myself, that I'm good enough. And I always just end up outperforming that person. Um, so maybe they should focus on themselves. <laughs> yeah. I
0: have this mini theory that if we focus on ourselves and we compete with ourselves rather than others, then we're not drawn to uh, kind of worry about what other people people necessarily are thinking of us in that scenario and therefore our interests don't diverge and go in the kind of multiple different directions instead if we compete with ourselves we're ultimately kind of forced to follow our own inclinations like we have to do what we are passionate about because if we're competing with ourselves, why would we be competing with ourselves about something that we weren't being pulled towards it's almost like it forces it in some way
1: yeah I mean, I think there's still an element of um, even when you're competing with yourself of of trying to prove yourself to others um there is still an element of that, but it's not it's not competing with those others um, so so yeah I think um there is still an element of some level of approval um definitely when I was younger for sure
0: It's I don't want to be driven by that fear and that hardship how do we flip how do we not be driven by feelings of insecurity and instead be driven by feelings of hope, the light not the dark, like Mm. you said you're in the middle of that transition like how how's it going
1: (laughs) yeah no I think the I think going it's, it's such a cliche but like going into your 30s you just have a different perspective and um I became really clear about what I'm good at um I started to recognize even the the people that recognise me. So, like, I used to have, you know, some of... Still to this day, I'm in touch with most of the leaders I worked for. And, you know, sometimes if they send you a Merry Christmas text, you're like, oh, why are they, you know, why are they texting me? Because you almost didn't feel like, you, you know, you, you're good enough for that. And it's so... That's such a weird thing. And now, like, I make sure I get my Christmas text in first, <laughs> you know, just like... And I really appreciate that they recognise that in me. And that is an evidence point for me, right? Right like forget the people who underestimated you think about the people you respect and they recognised what you were good at then also look up back at all you've achieved and again that's evidence that you can can tell yourself um, and so I think between sort of looking back at your evidence accepting who I am um, accepting that you know once I heard that term multi-potential I was like I have a word for it this is who I am Uh, it's really changed that. And now I am really purely driven by the problems I have to solve, you know. Uh, Taking on these teams, um, scalability was something that I had to solve across the different disciplines I was working with. And that's driving me. Um, Career growth of my leads, that's driving me. Um, And so building systems that are scalable and reliable that's driving me and now I think that will be how I make my decisions going forward like what's the mission that I'm trying to solve as opposed to what's the risk of me rotting somewhere
0: (laughs) how do you think you could have learned these things earlier
1: um I think having having examples or people like as I said when I heard that word and, and watched that TED talk I, it just the penny dropped and um you know now I'm a school governor and I I, I go into schools and I, I tell the young people don't worry about the job that you're going to have you're 16 Think about the skills, you know, I saw a job for like head of data privacy at TikTok. That didn't exist (laughs) five years ago. There's gonna be jobs that they, when they're ready for the workforce that are completely different. Like, what is it that you like? Is it that, you know, for a role like that, it would be like that you like to bring data together. You wanna understand how it impacts individuals. Um, Are you obsessed with information? Those are the skills that you wanna cultivate And maybe there'll be a role in six years time for, you know, a company that didn't exist six years ago. And I think if I had that discussion other than rather than you have to choose, um, that would have been more helpful if I had discussions that were less about, oh, you're unique to be here. I wouldn't expect to be the only one in the room. Um, and so it's really important to have those discussions with younger people.
0: Many younger people are also naturally driven by our human nature. And there's a big part of our human nature before we perhaps get tamed and educated in that way that pulls us towards status and, uh, a big part of status is how much money we earn, where we fit in respect of other people, and therefore you're kind of drawn to these kind of two big ticket items, like which job am I going to do? Because essentially that will give me my status in society. And then secondly, how much how much money will I earn? Because that will that will reinforce it in some way, and that'll be another barometer. How do you how do you not internalise that? How do you put that in its place and instead focus on those skills? Um, and then I think, and then follow up from that, like how, how should you use it? Should you completely ignore money and status or should it be a part of your decision-making?
1: Um, so maybe not status, I never really thought about status, but again, like it was only in later life, I really started to talk about money. And I think that is important. And it's often, again, a conversation, especially young women don't have, and I'm not exposed to, um, you know, and that's, you know, I have friends who are very similar to me and somehow the men all have groups around investing, you know, group chats and we didn't. Um, so, I think it is important and it's not either or so if your skills are valuable you'll make money and and you should make money um so you know we all have to live we all have to eat uh so i think we should talk about money i think i think i think it's important to talk about money um And that's another thing that I sort of learned later, later on. Um, But I don't think that negates letting people explore different roles and letting people explore different skills.
0: I guess we are also in a skills-based economy where if you learn skills and understand skills, naturally our market economy will reward you learning those skills uh and applying your brain uh as opposed to the other way around so it's almost like maybe they're not mutually exclusive actually if you do head towards money maybe that takes you in uh maybe you don't want to start with that but at least if you go with skills it's highly likely that money will follow absolutely do any of these lessons help you be a better leader of other people
1: Yeah, I think becoming a leader, a people leader, because it's interesting, I I, I didn't want to be. (laughs) Um, I loved leading technical programs um, because you got to lead everyone, (laughs) but for the objective that you were all trying to to work on and deliver. Um, And you got to be hands-on with the technical solution but when you become a people leader you have to give those opportunities to your team you have to find the projects the mission define the direction so that they can have opportunities to execute and um and develop the skills so they can grow their career so earlier on I said that there's two ways in which you get that range either being sort of hands-on or learning from others and I guess as a leader now I've moved into more of that you know I spend a lot more time reading for example because I need to define the directions to give my teens the best opportunities that they can execute on, on the things that will take them ready for promotion or um, that will give them the skills that they're looking for And when you have a team that maybe doesn't have that, you've really got to give them a mission um, and together create that so that they can execute on something that they're passionate about. Um, And that's aligned with the company's objectives, of course. Uh, So I think that's a big lesson is that I had that from the leaders that I worked for you know, they gave me those big ticket opportunities. And I'm always trying to create those for for the teams I work with.
0: We started by talking about things that are at the intersection of different specialisms. And it strikes me as I reflect on our conversation that all of the things that we've spoken about are also so interrelated. Um, thank you for running through the ones that are most important to you.
1: No problem at all. Thank you for this conversation. It was, it was great. Cool. Thank Catch you. you Take Bye. care. Bye.
0: The Best Work podcast is produced by the team at CORD. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at BennettCord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation insightful video content and more at core.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.